Hello and welcome to another episode of the Board Game Shenanigans Podcast, where we review the games we've been playing and discuss board game related topics. My name is Bob. And I'm Natasha. Okay. Here it is. It's the Sunday after Gen Con. We literally just got home and Bob's making me record. I'm not. That's no. That's not how that works. Mm -hmm. I'm not making you do anything. Um, We did just we literally just got home. We're sitting down to record our thoughts, impressions, all that jazz about Gen Con. Since it's fresh, we want to talk about it. So, Yeah. yeah. Gen Con 2023 in the books. It's done. Natasha. This was your first Gen Con. Yep. You've been to other conventions, but yep. nothing quite like Gen Con. No, Gen Con was definitely an experience. Yeah. And I knew going into it, like I expected it to be busy and crazy and intense, and but I still, it was still unbelievable. So what'd you think of it? What were your impressions? Okay. Let me tell you the things I liked about it. Okay. It was very exciting. There's a lot of energy. That was super fun. Like everyone was excited. Every, there's a lot going on. There's a lot of hotness. It's like really fun to play the new games that are coming out. Like it's the first time that a lot of these games are being sold. That's a lot of fun. Um, I liked, hang, you know, seeing my friends. That was a lot of fun. I also liked. I saw a lot of people from online and and from other conventions. You know, so like all of the like the social aspects of it were a lot of fun. I loved all that. But it was so big and. And everyone says it's so big, but it's it's crazy how like it just takes over that entire few blocks. It's all Gen Con and the whole thing is all packed. It's not just the vendor halls that are packed. It's literally everywhere you go is packed. It's a huge convention. Yeah, it uh, spills over into the adjoining hotels. Pretty much mm-hmm. every hotel that has a skywalk to the Indiana Convention Center is going to have activities going on all their ballrooms are full their lobbies are full like even they even have booths in all the hallways like you go upstairs to the second level of the convention center there's like ballrooms and stuff up there that are filled they have booths in the hallway they have booth you can walk to the lucas oil stadium so the stadium is where they had the board gaming the board gaming library was in there contained Mm -hmm. off within there and then also around that they had just open gaming you could go and there was a tunnel that could take you there from the convention hall right to the stadium there was booths all along that hallway that you could shop at. Yeah, I, they they crammed them wherever they could. I have uh, a friend who um, is a professor up at Central Michigan University, and they were there um, because they have a uh, board game design certificate, unlike my minor something along that like associated with the university. Um, so they were even there, and they were outside of one of the convention halls ballrooms on the second floor of the convention center so they were there um it was actually cool to see because there were several universities represented there there was ferris state university which is in uh, michigan central michigan university and then there was even purdue was there so there was it was cool to see those universities showing interest in board game design and helping you know future designers you know, with the process and everything like that. So that was really cool. Um, okay, your positives. What are your negatives? My negatives relate a hundred percent to the crowds. Yes. I just okay. I don't like I don't like crowded areas. I don't like waiting in line. Um the the I think overall Gen Con does a really good job managing all these people. Like they're utilizing all the space. Like people can go everywhere all over. There's places to go. They manage like the 
the hot games lines like are fairly managed well you know like the, a lot of the, the large ticketing areas you can go into like there's a corral and it's it's managed really well w- with the exception of the will call the will call was from one end of the con to the other the line was all the way the entire length of the convention the entire weekend maybe not late at night like friday late night or saturday night late night it wasn't that long but even Sunday morning, people came in just for Sunday. The line was from one end to the other. It was at least an hour long wait for everybody who had to get tickets, who already bought their tickets. They were just picking up their tickets. That is completely egregious and like so frustrating to me. Like there's no reason why that long line needed to be that long. And that just, that bothers me to no end. Everything else, I think they managed all the crowds really well. Like the fact that they used all the space, like they, I mean, I don't think they actually used the entire city of Indianapolis, but it certainly felt like it. There was just, it was very sprawled out and large. And, you know, but when you kind of spread out and it wasn't quite as crowded, it was still packed, but not as crowded. But that will call line, oh, that bothers me. Uh, I heard all convention long how much you hated that will call line. So you solved it, you know? I did. I have a a perfect solution to it. It's not like I'm just complaining. There's complaints. Otherwise, I'm open to other suggestions, plenty of other ways to solve it. There was no reason. I thought, okay, they're component limited. Like they probably only have like so many computers to set up. No, there's no computers because they printed them all ahead of time and they just had to give you your packet and they're all alphabetized. Why is there one giant group of alphabetized packets and then everyone's the employer, the the workers are standing behind this will call line and it wasn't managed well because they were always like, I need somebody over here. Like, waiting for the next person to get there it moved fast like as long as it was it didn't move but it still was an hour away at least yeah that is the main reason why i get all my stuff shipped to me i spend the extra money to get it sent to me before so i have that all that stuff i don't have to wait in the will call line and the interesting part is those lines are massive with a ton of people getting their stuff mailed to them there is a certain cutoff time where you can't actually get your stuff mailed to you. There there comes a like strict after this if you, you know, buy tickets or you buy a badge, you're not able to get it shipped to you because it's just too late. They won't mm-hmm. have time to be able to do that for you. So there is that, but man, there's got to be a ton of people who get it shipped to them not waiting and not waiting in the will call line. So just imagine if everyone had to wait in the will call line how terrible that experience would have been it, there's no reason like they know exactly how many tickets are bought like you should be able to manage a large line and, and they had people that were that were managing the line like keeping it nice and controlled and and lined up along the edge and and that big old sign this is the end of the line so like they knew the line was going to be long why don't you triple quadruple your will call staff and have a m- much more people up there you could even divide it by alphabet so that way, you know, the each section is smaller. You only have so many letters you need to be going through. It was just so poorly run and frustrating. All right, Gen Con, here's the deal. Email Natasha, and all you got to do is email her at boardgameshenanigans at gmail.com, and then she'll give you the scoop on how to make this more efficient. I will manage it. <laughs> I will even manage it for you. Like, there, that was unacceptable. It was completely unacceptable that your line was that long. I would have been so mad if I would have came in Sunday morning just for the day and then waited an hour just to get my ticket that I already bought ahead of time. Yeah, it was pretty bad. 
They did do a good job of regulating one line in particular, and that line was Lorcana. Let's talk about Lorcana because that was the game of games to for people to get. We yes. had we went down, we met up with a friend of ours, and he really wanted to get Lorcana. And he was actually the one we were kind of chatting about me waiting in line for, which spoiler, I did not wait in line for Lorcana because that was ridiculous. The very first day, Thursday, when things opened up, it was that line was unmanageable. Like it was ridiculous how massive the line for Lorcana was. Ravensburger did a really good job of making sure they had product every single day for it. So Lorcana is a collectible card game if you haven't heard of it. So people went nuts because people go nuts for collectible card games and for Disney, of course. Well, the thing about Lorcana too is there's a lot of collectible card games that come out. Like I remember walking through the vendor hall and probably seeing like two or three new collectible card games. Doomlings apparently is turning into a collectible card game. But uh, I saw a few and the problem is they're just not going to have legs. You know, how do you break into a collectible card game system like Yu-Gi-Oh, Pokemon and Magic the Gathering? You just don't. Lorcana has the best shot. Because it's a collectible card game about Disney characters. You get to play as Maleficent, as Elsa, as Stitch, as, you know, Aladdin. You get to play as all these iconic Disney characters. So people went nuts. And like I said, Ravensburger did a good job. They, I mean, they brought a bunch of stuff. They ran out of like the swag stuff, like the deck boxes, the binders. They ran out of those really quickly. Uh, they ran out of the starter decks fairly fast, but they had booster boxes. So a lot of people got booster boxes. You know, they were only selling one box to each person. So people were able to get it. And our friend Ben acquired a couple booster boxes. He tried getting another one today, Sunday, and they sold out like right when he was getting to the booth, which kind of sucks. But that sucks. They should have passed out tickets so that you knew if you were going to wait in line, you'd get one. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it. you would think. So after that first day. It was awful, right? Like the line was ridiculous. So they, Gen Con actually announced they would start having people wait in line at 6 p.m. for the following day. And people did. People were in line. Like there was people who spent the night there to get the, get this stuff. That was like 16 hours. Yeah, because the thing doesn't open till 10. They were just like chilling, waiting. So they did after the fiasco on Thursday, which just didn't go well because it was a massive line and it was unregulated and people didn't know what was going on. Gen Con put up basically these little carousels of like of where people can stand and they they would separate them probably like 10 feet in between each one so people still had a way to walk but then you would be able to be enclosed and still in line. So that helped quite a bit to manage those lines and people were able to get it but man the the Lorcana stuff whew, that was that was the hot thing at Gen Con. It was pretty ridiculous. And a friend of mine has an exhibitor badge, and um, I was like, "Hey, see if you can like see if you can get some. If you can, cool. If not, no big deal." And the Lorcana Robinsberger for Lorcana would not sell to exhibitors before the hall opened. If you wanted Lorcana as an exhibitor, you had to get in line. For those that don't know, if you're an exhibitor. You have access basically to the vendor hall an hour early. You can get there at nine, which usually is time for people to kind of set up. It gives you time to interact with some people. So you're able mm -hmm. 
sometimes pick up games before the rush hits because you're going to go, you know, work the rest of the time. Yeah, I, it was insane, like, how long people were willing to wait for that game. And there was a lot of hot games. So Lorcana was definitely, like, the talk of the con. But there was a lot of other games that sold out the first day. World Wonders sold out. That was a uh, bummer, too. World Wonders. I really wanted to mm-hmm. snag that game. But, like, yeah, I mean, it was fast. They didn't even have copies for the following day. I know certain manufacturers or certain publishers would have a bunch for each day. And when they sold out, they sold out to give people an opportunity to get it. Thunder Road, Vendetta, the uh, Maximum Chrome Edition. That Mm -hmm. That was the thing with that is they had so many each day and you were able to pick them up. You know, I was trying to get a copy of Sky Team, which was really difficult. And... Again, it was it was interesting because uh, my buddy again with the exhibitor badge, they ended up, you know, trying to get it, and they they got in line. You they actually formed a line before the hall opened. You know, got in line. They did not get it, and then finally the people there were like, "We're not selling two blue badges." And they the person was, like, "Oh, okay. Well, I'll get back in line at like ten. No, no go. Nope." No blue badges. We are not selling to a blue badge. Blue badges are the people, the exhibitor badges. They're blue. Um, so they weren't even going to sell to exhibitors. You couldn't even get in line for it. Like, if you got in line, they would say no. And then, you know, take uh, Expeditions, which, you know, I was trying to get my hand on. Uh, they were doing a raffle for that one of the days to see if you could get it. Well, that's what I heard from one person. Another person said, no, the raffle was for the playmats because Jamie had sent like 10 playmats. Regardless, I didn't get a copy of that either. There was a lot of games that sold up really quickly. This con, people came to send spend money. We talked to a few friends of you know that are publishers mm-hmm. and just chatting with them. Like People were there to spend some money and get some games. Yeah, a lot of games sold out. You know, They sold out all their morning copies and then a lot of them sold out completely. The other bum thing is when we were there, like there were certain games I really wanted to see and I was really excited to like take a look at and I couldn't find them. Yeah, it was hard to find everything. Like they just were. Like, there was some games like that weren't were even non-existent. there. There were some games on the BGG list that were not even at the con. And there was some that you could demo, but they weren't for sale like they said they were. So that wasn't very accurate. Yeah, it's not super accurate. So let's let's transition from overall feel of the con. You said, you know, the crowds, the energy or whatever is is really what brings you in there. The energy and the people, the fun people seeing everybody. So let's move to games that we demoed, played. What do we think? You let's go back and forth a little bit. Let's talk about some of the games we had a chance to demo, play sort of thing and what we thought of them, because there was there was quite a few that I was able to look at, get demos of that I didn't actually weren't on my list that I was actually somewhat excited about. Um, one of the first games that I ended up buying and it was on your list was Wild Tiled West. Yes, I'm so excited about that one. Yeah, I got a chance to demo it and I I thought it was actually really interesting. So you have a, basically a couple boards sitting out on the thing with on the table with stacks of polyomino tiles just kind of scattered throughout in different like corners and they're all numbered and you're going to get a set of dice based on player counts. They're going to be D twenties and D eights. You're going to take the dice, you're going to roll them and then you're going to place the dice in the corresponding spots on the board, which are going to be indicating the tiles next to them are the ones that you can draft for that round and put to your board. 
So you, you roll the dice, you set them down, and you take them. And what's cool about the D20s is they're just like basic tiles. The D8s are slightly cooler tiles, and it gives you an opportunity to jump. So if you if you take, for example, one of the tiles from the, D, the D20 spots, you basically get the first tile. You're able to put it on your board. Cool. If it's gone, then you can move the next one over, which is basically going to be a river tile associated with a D8. The D8s, on the other hand, you can skip over tiles as long as you're able to play gold to, in order to get those tiles and place them onto your board. And the thing with the board is you're ultimately trying to fill in the shaded areas because they're buildings in your town. And you're going to get uh, special goal cards in the beginning, which you're going to score points based on you know st- different scoring conditions. Like you want to have so many of these types of tiles or so many of these types of tiles. The other thing is there are bad guys on your on your player board so you can place a tile over essentially a bullet and then you can take that bullet and shoot one of the bad guys and if you have so many after so many you know rounds there's going to be scoring if whoever has the most bad guys is going to lose two points whoever has the least is going to gain two points so you're you're constantly trying to manage that stuff i thought it was cool i got a chance to demo the game I didn't get a chance to do a full play, but it was cool enough where I'm like, all right, you know what? I need it. I think I should pick this up. I'm super excited to try that one. Yeah, you uh, didn't even have to buy it. Game. Yeah, I know. It's even better. Polyamino <laughs> game with um, yep. with just a different way of doing it. You know, so I'm excited. It's got some cards and yeah, I'm in. Artwork's cool. It. Yeah, it, it was. Yeah. it seemed like a really cool game. So that was, I only picked up a, a few games, not too many, but that was definitely one that I got the demo. I was like, all right, man, sold. Get, get, I want a copy. Uh, we, we get to demo Lunar Rush. Well, we get to play that one. We get tickets to play it, so we play the complete game. This is a new game that's just coming out, and it's kind of an interesting mechanic where you're basically taking, you're shipping some um, supplies to the moon, and then you're mining the moon, and then trying to ship it back. And the, the main mechanic is that you're bidding on these spots that you're going to, the paths that you're going to get to the moon. And the, there's quick paths, which will show up this turn. And then there's medium ones that will move advance one space and then show up next turn. And then there's long ones, which take three turns before they'll show up. The pull is that you can only hold like a few items on the short ones and a lot items, a lot of items on the long ones. So you want to get the short ones to start doing things right away, but you want those long ones to give you a lot of stuff that you're going to need to build. And then it's got some worker placement aspects to it with these cards that you could upgrade these spots to make them more powerful. It's pretty basic worker placement. I think the interesting thing about it was the the bidding on those or the the fact that you, you're picking what spot to go on to. But there was a bidding to it that you bid on these cards and then you spend it, you spend victory points. I don't like the bidding of the cards because you just had a number one through five and then we would often tie and we would just randomly select somebody to win that. So that was my only complaint about that game. Yeah, it was you could bid, but then it it was ultimately if you bid the same number, it was just random. So you didn't mm-hmm. really like bidding didn't really matter. It mattered, but it didn't. It wasn't that interesting. Yeah, it really wasn't. The timing element of the ships moving, you know, to the moon with the things you need to build your stuff. And then the timing of, you know, shipping back down, I thought was cool. It was almost a little Zolkin-esque. You have to pay attention to the timing of when you're going to get stuff and how you're going to be able to upgrade. So with that, I thought it was it was pretty cool. I really wish you would go based on the score, like you had suggested. Mm-hmm. If you if the person in last place was the tie that was the tiebreaker, as opposed to just flipping, you know, picking a random one, then they then they're going. 
I think that would be better. It would it would change that in a positive way, I think. At least you'd know yeah. that you're not you're gonna win ties, you're gonna lose ties, you know, it would just be some kind of set point. Yeah, I liked the game overall. I enjoyed it. It was a fairly quick game because it moved kind of fast everyone kind of did their own worker placement at the same time. You know, you have your board that's worker placement. You're not competing for spots. You're just basically getting spots for yourself that you can then use to, to upgrade. And you have to make sure you've got enough oxygen for all your astronauts. Otherwise, you'll lose like a ton of victory points. So that's really important. You have to make sure you've got enough energy. It was it was fun. I liked it, except for the bidding was just really fell flat. That was Lunar Rush. Should be coming soon, I think. So another game that we got to try that honestly surprised me. And I was kind of just sitting around the Arcane Wonders booth, kind of just waiting to, you know, hop on a demo of uh, World Wonders, which A, I didn't, I wasn't able to buy because it was completely sold out by the time I got to them. Like everything they had sold out super fast. They only had like 500 copies and within like an hour they were gone. Um, and then even the line to demo it was kind of long. So I ended up sitting down and demoing Neotopia. Uh, this was an interesting game because I I didn't expect much coming into it, but it had some cool mechanics. And I re- was like, Natasha, I think this is a game for you. You need to check this out. So in this game, basically, you're gonna, there's a main central board that is a circle and it has three quadrants. And in those quadrants, there's a bunch of circles that form a grid. And ultimately on your turn, what you're going to be doing is you're going to be taking three actions. And the goal is to achieve patterns based on cards in in your hand. And in between each of the sections, there's going to be a set of circle discs. Some are going to be associated with your player color. Some are going to be associated with the opponent's player colors. And on your turn, you do three actions. One of your actions can simply be taking one of the discs and placing it next to a disc that already exists on the board in that zone. Or you can, you know, draw cards. So ultimately what you want to do is you want to move the disc to create the pattern and score the card in that zone. You cannot score cards unless you've placed one of the discs into that in order to score it. So it's not like you can draw and be like, all right, this is already formed. I'm going to just start accumulating points. I think the interesting thing is twofold. One, when you run out of the discs on one side, there's going to be a central um, thing where it has the next four discs. So you have that knowledge of the next four that are coming out. So you can reset that row, which is nice. And then the scoring is interesting because each of the zones you're going to score. And the way it works is your top two zones, because they're all scored differently, that your top two zones are just going to be straight points. You get points for those zones. You know, if you score 20 and 20, you got 40 points. The trick is that third zone, your least amount of zone, your your lowest scoring zone is going to score three times the amount. So let's say you went 20, 20, and 10. You'd go 20 points, 20 points, 30 points. So you'd end up with 70 points. I think that's interesting because it makes you think about all three of the areas, right? So I thought that yeah. was a really cool concept. And it it honestly took me by surprise. I think the table presence is really nice on it too. I didn't expect much sitting down for this demo, but I actually liked it quite a bit. Yeah, it's got these really nice tokens too. They're like, um, they're you know think think quality of like Azul, but yes. they're round yep. instead of uh, square. Yeah, I liked it. I, I demoed it later um, today actually, and I, I think the puzzliness of it is really good. My only um, fear about this game is that it's gonna 
slow some people down. Like people are going to stop, think about all their different options, especially as the board gets more and more options out there. I think it could get real AP. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, it, it very well could. Yeah. But overall, I'm excited to play a full game of it. All right. We also got to play a full game of Mission Control Critical Orbit. This is a real-time game, so Bob did not play this one. Yeah, I was going to say, um, you said we, and that's not accurate because I, I didn't get, I didn't play it. I had I nothing to do with my, it. my friends, all, us, we. Oh, so well, I'm not a friend now anymore. Okay, got I, anyway, okay. Cool, other cool, friends, cool. other friends. Yep. All right, sure, sure. So this is an asymmetrical cooperative uh, roll and write real-time rescue adventure. So you have 20 minutes to play the game. Basically, there's been a... Uh, issue with space and they missed the re-entry and you've got 20 minutes to fix the ship and get them back to the land um so you've got one person on one side with a screen covering their board and then the rest of us are kind of sitting out and we each basically we each have our own little game that we're playing so so the the mission control rolls the dice and then the, he rolls three dice and then we pick which ones we want we let him know. He's like, all right, I rolled a five, six and a four. And like, oh, I really want that six. I want that four, whatever. And so you choose it and then everyone uses those dice and, and you play these little mini games. Like some of them, someone played a polyamino game. I played like a Sudoku puzzle. Somebody else played, I don't know. They just added up numbers. It, I don't know what game exactly it was. And we we're all doing our own thing. And then like earning things to then give to the mission control or earning bonuses to give to other players. So we'd be like, star, you have a, you have a star, and every player has a name. And I liked the way when we you were done doing your action, you would say, um, you would say your your role, which was um they each had they each had a name. And so you'd say your name and then you'd say complete, and then the last person to say it would say mission control complete. So they let them let the mission control know that we're all complete. And so it kind of worked really well in that way. And then they were busy like basically taking these polyaminos, trying to make sure the oxygen line back matched up. I'm not sure exactly how that player, the main mission control person worked, but it seemed like that was kind of the funnest in the game. It fell really flat with me because I played the Sudoku puzzle and it was super simple. It was like Sudoku, but way easier. Um, it was super simple. And at one point, um, my goal was to, every time I completed a row or a column, the mission control got a valve to, to grab either from a bag or they could pick one out depending on which one I did. And I had, he had gotten them all. So like at some point I was like basically done with my game and didn't need to do anything while I was sitting there waiting for, um, you know, him to fix the, you know, figure out the puzzle and, and win the game. So it kind of fell flat for me, but there are other different boards. So if I played a different board, I think it'd be more interesting. Yeah. Doing the different mini games, trying, trying to find the one that you like. Yeah, and I didn't mind that it was really simple because the guy was like, "Well, you you solved all that really fast. Like most people don't do that." And so I I won't I don't right. mind that there's an easier one. I just won't play it. You know, it was I, I like that there's an easy one in those types of games because it's you know you get to, this is a new player. Sure. And apparently, people maybe don't do a lot of Sudoku puzzles. I don't know. I thought it was fine. I'd play it again, but I'm not super super excited about it. Sure. But I I definitely be willing to play Mission Control because that seems interesting. Or the polyamino ones where you try to make polyamino shapes. And then basically you're choosing once you get certain numbers into one of those shapes, you get to take a polyamino. So you're choosing where to place the numbers. I thought I thought the polyamino one looked really neat. Yeah, cool. I think they liked it better than me. Yeah. That's Mission Control Critical Orbit. Uh, I got a chance to try out the new Lost Runes of Arnak expansion with our friend Jeremy. 
This is a expansion that offers a couple things. One, it's going to give you a couple new leaders, which I love. It's going to give a new research track, double sided, which again, more it's just more of the same stuff that I like, just new things to manipulate. And then it offers a cooperative campaign. Uh, we had a chance to run through the campaign. I think it's only two player, the campaign, because it was only the two of us signed up. And, you know, we asked, like, is there more? He's like, nope, it's just two player. And I don't know if they were just running two player campaigns and that's it or that's how it was. So the way this kind of works is you and the other person are trying to fulfill certain objectives. The biggest thing is you're moving this like fog of war. I don't know, this like fog cloud up this research track. Because the point of the game is to get all the way to the top of the research track and defeat these two basically monsters, two of the the monster tiles that are sitting on top of the research track. That's what you want to do. But in order to continue moving up, you need to move this fog further and further up. And the way you do that is by unlocking places on the board. For every two places you unlock, you can spend a couple boots and move the thing up. So you're going to have to unlock every basic one and at least two of the super actions spots. You're going to have to at least unlock that many in order to completely move it up out of the way so you can fully make up the track. There is, they do use the uh, automaton player and it, it basically creates a sense of urgency to get out and get these things because as you flip tiles, they're going to be taking spots. They're going to advance on the research track, taking away the tokens from you. So you need to constantly be trying to do as much as you can. Um, you're able to aid the other player by sending them one resource, basically, you know, around. You have this little bird token and you basically just send them a resource that flips over and then it resets the following turn or following round. So that's interesting. Ugh. They changed up the board a little bit. You go to certain spots and instead of getting um, an idol, you get a card and then you resolve the flavor text of the card. It'll give you something. I thought that was interesting. I thought that was kind of cool. But overall, the campaign cooperative style, I just don't know if it's for me. And that's, I think, saying a lot because I love that kind of stuff, especially a game like Lost Runes, which is one of my favorite games. The fact that I'm not, ugh, I don't know, maybe there's more to it. I'm going to, I want the expansion just because it gives me the things I want. It gives me new leaders and it gives me a new research track, which is mostly what I want. Um, the rest of the stuff is just kind of like flavor, I think. It might be cool. I would need to play at least a few games of it to determine if it's something that I, I'm really interested in. So that is uh, the Lost Lost Ruins. I think it's the Missing Leaders expansion. Gives you new leaders. Gives you a new research track. That I'm down with. The campaign. Mm -hmm. I don't know. We'll see. So I got to... It, it wasn't a demo. He just kind of showed walked me through the game of Sagrada Artisans. The new Sagrada um, Legacy game. And you get like this little book and I barely saw any of it. He just kind of showed what was in the box and all the things that came came with it. You get this um, little booklet and and colored pencils and it's you're playing the game. The first game is going to be like regular Sagrada. And then as you go on, you're going to unlock special abilities, unlock new goals, stuff like that. And it comes with these colored pencils. You color it in. It looks really cool. I'm really excited. I'm going to play it with my son because he just loves legacy games. I think, it. you know, we play Azul a lot. He hasn't played Sagrada, but I think he'll like it. 
he'll definitely be willing to play it just because it's legacy. And it also comes with, within the box, it comes with um, sheets outside of that notepad that you can just play the game on its own outside of the legacy. So you don't need to have played the legacy campaign. So if I wanted to sit down and play it with you, Bob, I could play one of those games instead of bringing you in to the, you know, unless you, they recommend if you play the legacy, you play the legacy from beginning to end because otherwise you'll kind of be lost with what's going on. So are you adding additional rules? Is that the reason why that? It sounds like it. He said that somebody couldn't just jump in like mid campaign. Okay. Because they wouldn't really have an idea of what's going on. You have to catch them up on everything and because there's so much. Uh, there's a whole story behind it. They even sell a booster pack where you can reset it, but the booster pack is a different story. So, so it won't be exactly the same story or campaign or whatever it's different That's so if we cool. like it i'm gonna get that one yeah i'm excited about that i'm excited to play that one so i have no idea if it's any good because you couldn't actually play it he just kind of talked about it and all the components that came in and showed me a whole bunch of boxes that we couldn't um, you know couldn't open so <laughs> speaking of there was a ticket to ride legacy and i tried to not be by that booth like i tried yeah they were demoing it. You could play a whole first game. Yeah, you could. You really could. And uh, today we were walking past it and I was like, do you want to sit down? We were looking at it and you're like, no, it's going to be good. And just just like beelined <laughs> it out of the way. Like they didn't sell it. So there was, you couldn't buy it right away. There was yeah, no reason to demo it. I'm buying it. <laughs> yeah. The, the, you're like, I love how you're just like staring at it. And you're like, it's going to be good. I'll, I'm just going to buy it. <laughs> and just do, 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 keep walking. <laughs> It wasn't any, there wasn't anything there that you didn't already see in the box. So it looked like, I think the first game is going to be regular ticket to ride. You know, it's got the puzzle of the map. It's got yep. money. I don't know what the, oh, you get money if you're, cause you're a corporation. There's the railroad. It looks like there's the same railroads that are in the Pennsylvania edition, you know, so you're going to be earning money from placing tr uh, on tracks that align with your color. Yeah. I'm in, doesn't matter. Yeah. in. sign me up. Um, We got a t chance to demo Mordred which is a CMON game that recently just wrapped up on Kickstarter. You can late pledge this particular game. It is a dudes on the map game set in Britain, basically. And man, this game has some interesting things going on with it. So the main mechanic is you have some tokens that allow you to take actions. There's basically three actions you can take. Muster, move, spell. Those are going to be the three things you can do. If you take your action token and you place it on must on uh, move, you can take your figures and move them on the board. The chair and you can go as as much as you want. the tr The trick is you have to spend time doing it, and this is going to be very much similar to patchwork because you're going to have a central wheel that you're going to have your tokens on it, and whoever is in last place gets to take the next action. So it's one of those things that you can take an action, move your token forward one, take another action, move your token forward one, take another action, move your token you know, forward one. But wait, there's more. There's more. That's not the only thing you have to consider because when you are the last little shit that comes off of the space, each space has a different activation. There, You remove it from, let's say, the first spot. You could activate the monsters on the map. So you're in control of those monsters for this turn. You get to activate them. And they're going to do something. You can move them into an opponent's space and they could kill one of the troops there. You could get a special like mystic kind of card. You could um, trigger the war. The biggest thing is you can trigger the wars that are happening. And whoever does that, 
they're in charge of the sequence by which war is going to be resolved. And ultimately, what you're trying to do is you're trying to win in these different regions in order to gain favor. Favor is going to be the stuff that's going to going to give you victory points. Those are going to be the victory points in the game. And the way one of the other spots allows you to move one of the three gods. I think it's Merlin, it was Morgana, and Mordred. So you're ultimately trying to win their favor. And one of the spots on the wheel allows you to basically move one of them into a like, new region. And then it drops favor into that region. So now it gives you an additional spot to kind of, you know, attack or try to gain advantage of. And then once you get into combat, you're going to be playing cards. Each faction has a set of cards which are asymmetric to the other factions. And the way you play them depends on who you have in the battle. You're going to have your chief, you're going to have warriors, and you're going to have mystics. And each card's going to have a top and bottom section. So you can place the bottom. The bottom section is the mystics. When you place it down, it's going to go in the mystics section. When you could use, if you have your leader, some of the top powers say if you play this for as your leader, you get this additional thing, or you can just get basic stuff. Then you flip them and you're going to resolve combat. Let's say I have four swords. Natasha has two shields. I do, I kill two of her units. If she has three swords and I have one shield, she's going to kill two of my units. And the goal is to have more units in the area than your your opponent in order to gain those favor but it was kind of interesting because you don't win the battle right after the battle you decide the order of the battle you do you go through in battle in each region but then at the end of the battle phase like out of all of them battling that's when you resolve the winner you figure out who the winner is because a lot of things you can do during battle is moving units into other territories so you might win the battle but you might still lose lose it in the end because you don't have control at the very end of all the battles. It was interesting. And it was also interesting because you get seven cards to battle with. Well, if you're in multiple, you only use those cards. You They're one time use for each battle. And you can do three in each battle if you have three different units in there, three different of the types of units. So you, you're not going to be able to use all your cards if you're out there in a few different, few di- if you're in more than two areas. So you have to kind of decide which cards to use. I thought that, that was really interesting. There's a lot of interesting things in this game. Yeah, you have to pick and choose. There's some really interesting choices from the timing mechanism to which cards am I going to play in each given you know battle, that sort of thing, because my hand is limited, like you said. And you're, you're drawing seven cards, so you don't necessarily know what you're going to get, and they're all asymmetric, so each faction is going to be slightly different in terms of what those cards are going to do. I didn't know much about this game sitting down to it to demo it, and we got done, I was just like, man, this I think is going to be good. Especially that timing mechanism, right? Like, you're not only thinking about how They had far Bob at Rondell. Yeah, they did. That's a fact. <laughs> well, you're not just thinking about how far am I advancing my time marker. You're also thinking about where do I want to end up? Because if, la- if I'm the first chip on that spot, that means I'm going to be the last chip coming off that spot. That means I get to trigger that action. And maybe I want to, like... Activate the monsters. Maybe I want to move around those three leaders, you know, to drop favor in the sections that I want. You know, that sort of thing. There's a second part where another board opens up. We didn't get to that. So I don't know much about that particular portion of things. But even just that base little bit, I man, I think that might be pretty solid. I think it's going to be yeah, solid. It's, it's hard to tell how this whole game is going to come together. But what we did play, we played a, a, through a round. It was really interesting. And so I am excited to play a complete game of that. Yeah, I am too. Bob, did you get a chance to demo Bonsai? No, I... No. 
I saw it. I tried. They were full at the time. They were running really long demos in the hall. So I just I didn't have time to sit sit down. Because I, I knew it was going to be light and just seeing a little bit of the gameplay, I knew it was going to be something a little bit lighter. I kind of put it towards the bottom of my list. I, I lost some priority for me, so I didn't get a chance to. But you did? I did, and I really liked it. I, I think it's going to be really good. I didn't play a whole game or anything, but you basically are building out this tree, and at the end of the game, you're, the tree trunk is, isn't worth any points. The, the leaves are worth a couple points, and then the flowers are worth points if you don't surround them, and the fruits are worth a lot of points. And then you're just, it's standard drafting where you can pick any, um, you just pick a lineup of cards, but then there's something underneath each one of them. So you can take this card and then also get these two tiles or which are the two best ones. Or if you take the, like the second card that just came out, it's a little bit less good tiles. Then the third card, you only get one tile. The last card that comes out, you'll get no tiles with it. So that as they move along, they kind of get better and better. So then you get uh, cards that are like maybe scoring cards. You might get cards that give you more tiles. You might get cards that you can only store five tiles on your board. So you, on each turn, you either choose, you do a meditation or a plantation. They, they, uh, they call it. Well, either way, on your turn. So on your turn, you do one of two things. You either plant um, tiles, which you're limited by the number of tiles you can plant, and they get off of your supply, which you're limited in however many tiles you can hold in your supply. Or you can take the cards and the tiles that are associated with it. So you you want to start taking stuff, but then you once you're full, you got to start planting things. But you want to be efficient with that because you can only plant on each turn. You can only plant a brown, uh, the tree trunk, the leaves, and either uh, anything else, any wild one. So then the cards you draft let you plant more tiles at a time. They let you store more. They let you give scoring opportunities. They let you take more tiles. So they do all kinds of interesting different things. And then at the end, uh, you just have this lovely little bonsai tree. It's simple and light. Um, the tile placement is, is, it's, isn't that terribly interesting, but it's cool because you're building something different, you know? So I'm excited about this one. It's completely sold out, but it looks gorgeous. It plays nice and simple. It says eight plus 40 minutes. I think that's probably true. That's bonsai. Do you think I'll like it? Mm, or is it going to be too light know. for me? It might be too light. It does have this cool scoring mechanism where you can, uh, once you re the, reach these goals, you get to score the tiles. So if you have, um, but there's, but there's four different levels of scoring. So once you reach the minimum, you can score that and then you can no longer score if you get higher or get more. Mm -hmm. but, but if you want to skip it, you can to try to get the higher one. But once you skip it, you cannot go back and score the lower one. So you have to decide, okay, if I'm going to go for the scoring, if I'm going to skip the first one and go for the higher point one, I need to commit to getting there first because somebody else get there first and then they score and you cannot go lower. And they're worth a lot of points. So that's cool. Yeah, I'm excited about that that one i want to play a full game of it i after kind of watching turns i like i said i, I backburned it a little bit put it on the back burner um but i do want to try it i do want to give it a go i don't know if it might be just one of those games that it's just light enough but it still gives me enough decisions i don't know i want to give it a go um i want to talk about a game i got to demo which is the new one by phil walker harding which is Spellbook. uh our good friend who showed up to who came to the convention ben he was he de the main reason why I demoed it is he came up to me. He's just like, this had the bits that I wish quacks had. So I was like, ooh, that must be some decent, decent bits. So I got a chance to sit down and I got a chance to demo this. I normally like Phil Walker Harding stuff. 
Um, it's one he's one of those designers that comes out with quite a few games a year, but they're typically really streamlined, shorter games that you can get done. The only downfall I find with them is that I'll play them five, six, seven times, and then I'm kind of like I'm kind of done. Um, but Spellbook is interesting because it's like a push your luck kind of a game. On your turn, you're basically going to be taking three actions, a morning, afternoon, and night action. And they're usually do one or the other. The first thing is you can pull two tokens out of a bag or you can pull one from a central location. These tokens are what's going to progress you through the game because ultimately what you're trying to do is create sets of tokens in order to activate the spells that you have. So you're going to have seven spells in front of you, red, purple, green, black, white, blue, and yellow. And the way it works is if you have a certain set, you need to have a certain amount of those t- those tokens in order to get the spells. Each spell on those cards are going to be, you know, one, two, and three. Some are the lower ones are going to be, they're not going to be nearly as good as, let's say, the higher ones, but it requires more. Like the level one spell requires, I think, three of the tokens, then it's four, and then it's five. You can get wild if you have three tokens that have the same symbol on them because they are they have color and symbol on them. And if they have the same symbol, it's essentially a wild if you have three of the same. So you basically, you do, you pick a couple tiles. The next thing you can do is you can store some of those tokens, which you have a little familiar board. And it's basically every time you store one, it basically just generates you more points towards the end. And the last thing you can do is activate a spell. Basically take one of your tokens, put it on a spell card. Now you have this power for the rest of the game quick streamlined cool push your luck because you're pulling stuff out of the bag you don't know what necessarily what you're gonna get you can pull some from the central board if you wanted to and at the end of your turn what you're gonna do is you're gonna pull a token out set it on the central board pass the bag to the next player and they're gonna play if the central board ever fills up you basically clear it and then you're gonna make a new market based on player count it's actually an interesting game it wasn't like i was I I thought for the most part it's going to be pretty cool because there's going to be multiple cards so you're able to have you can play differently on the different you know different games because you're going to be basically going through those cards and then just like all Phil Walker Harding games streamline like it's just pretty simple pull a couple things do a couple things next person's turn it looks really colorful and pretty and it yep. looks like it's going to be fun to play those tokens. Let me tell you, and the price point on it was actually really reasonable. I think it was like 45 at the convention list price, but the person demoing it could give you a coupon to basically get five bucks off. So he, you know, so $40 and those chits that you get, you pull out of the bag, they're plastic. Like though, that is what should have been in quacks, not that cardboard stuff. Like that's yeah. really what should have been quacks. And the thing is they kept the price point like pretty minimal for what you get like it was actually pretty decent i will say we had a we had a funny interaction with the dude demoing because it like i think we sat down at like 4 45 to demo he's just like all right that's yeah that's cool man and he's like you know i got 15 more minutes and we're sitting there and he's just like yeah well i mean the the hall closes at five and i looked at him i was like dude the hall closes at six and he's like no I'm like, yeah, I'm like, yeah, man. And he's like, oh, so I have another hour. I'm like, yeah, I'm like, I guess I just like time zoned you in some way. Like I, <laughs> they like savings timed you today. Sorry, man. Like I just made you lose an hour that you thought you had. My bad, bro. He looks so defeated when I was just like, eh, you got another hour. He just, oh, uh, 
looks so defeated. Poor fella. I, that's got to be exhausting to work those woos all day. Oh, long yeah. Repeat the same thing. And it's loud. You have to talk loud. And yeah. I'm Your sure. voice hurts. Yeah. It was. Yeah. I've, I, <laughs> I felt so bad for him. Afterwards, I'm like, dude, I'm so sorry. He's like, I would have figured it out eventually. <laughs> Obviously, you would. Oh, funny. Um, another one I liked is called Sunrise Lane. This is a Reiner Canizia game. So you've got a board out in front of the central board in front of the players, and it's at the town square, and there's all these spaces on it that you can build houses. You have to play a card that matches the color of the spot you're going to build on. So if you want to um, put a house down on a pink spot, you have to have a pink card. If you have two pink cards, you put a, a two-story house. If you have three pink cards, it's a three-story house. You can have up to five. So the highest they'll be is five stories high um and then and then you can then place the house next to it you if it if there's a intersection you can go in either direction but then whatever direction you choose you have to continue on you cannot go in like both directions so then if the next house is green then you can play a green card if you don't have a green card um or let's say like you don't have a green card but the next spot in line is blue and you have a blue card you want to get to that spot you can then discard your green card to place a park out there or you could discard any card to place a park out there um and then that doesn't score you anything but that it takes up a space so then it allows you to go to the next spot so you can basically like kind of chain all these cards and try to get as many houses out as you can and it was really kind of fun to come up with that because you can you'll either play cards and take a card or if you don't play any cards you can draw two cards and so then you kind of have a mid of hands and you can kind of play a bunch of them in one turn i only played one round and i really liked it but i want to see how the whole thing plays out and then there's just some different ways to score basically in certain areas you want the, the tallest houses and the other areas you want the like most connected house, houses there's also a longest route bonus so you want to definitely cut people off so they can't keep building on a long route i i really liked the first playthrough of it yeah that sounds cool yeah it was I think it was only like $30 too for a decent sized game. And that is Sunrise Lane. All right. Next up, I want to talk about a game by Yellow, which is called Ancient Knowledge. This, the I think the artwork really pulled me into this one, which you're building wonders through card play. So essentially, that's what you're going to be doing is just playing cards. And you get a couple actions. You're able to either build a wonder on the top part of your board or you can, you know, get uh, you can get technologies, you can get ideas, different things like that. And ultimately, what you're trying to do is when you play a card to your above your player board, which is going to be your wonders, there's going to be certain lost knowledge tokens put on it. And the goal is to try to get as much of those lost knowledge tokens off of that, in order, because at the end of every round, you're going to be doing the decline phase, which takes all the wonders that you've built and progress them down this track. And eventually they'll fall off and they become lost, they're destroyed, and any sort of knowledge tokens that are still on that are going to go into a specific pool. And in that pool, like you're going to get negative points. There are cards in the game that reward you for having knowledge in the discard pool. There are cards in the game that, you know, want to have a certain amount of wonders in the in in decline, in your declined area, that sort of thing. This game was interesting. Um it, it's a card game. For the most part, like I said, you got a couple actions. Usually it's like play a card, draw a card, gain a technology, play this card. But you can start developing combos. So you can play a card that says every time you play this type of wonder, you get this extra action to do. 
So it's it's really about chaining these combos through the deck. And what's nice is when your wonders fall off after the decline phase and they kind of, you know, go into your discard area, you can end up using those with certain cards in order to uh, do these additional actions. So, for example, a card could say if you, you know, tap slash exhaust four cards, you can draw three from the deck, that sort of thing. There's player interaction. One of the players at the table basically made us discard cards, which is, you know, when it gets to your turn, then you're just using actions to draw cards, that sort of thing. It It's an interesting game. I'm, I think it's going to be one of those games that like playing through the deck and finding those combos is going to be really interesting. I thought about picking it up. I, it's one of those games that's kind of on the, on the border of me picking up. I would love to j- give it a try. I thought it was a really cool concept about, you know, you're playing these wonders and you're just trying to manipulate the cards in some way. You know, for the most part, it seems like the turn structure is pretty simple. Yeah, I, I think this might be actually a pretty solid game. I Again, I didn't have a chance to play the full version. But yeah, that was Ancient Knowledge by Yellow. So a surprise hit for me was Sushi Go Spin Some for Dim Some. I love that name. It was, it's so good. It was really cute. So you got a plate, and it's a Lazy Susan with these different ingredients cards all kind of stacked in there. Think um, Seven Wonders Architects, where you don't know what the card coming up is. And then everyone's got a menu in front of them, which is just tells you how each card scores. That's it. And so it's different scoring than Sushi Go, but same idea. Basically set collection. And you just you get to take the card that's in front of you. You have a, It marks it off just like in Planet Unknown. You mark off this is your spot. So... You just take the card in front of you, add it to your your plate there, add it in front of you. And whoever once somebody gets once we all get twelve cards, then we just score up all of our points. There's different cards that give you points for like collecting sets, and then of course there's the set collection of the cards. There's dumplings, which you know whoever has the most gets set, um, six points. Whoever has the least gets minus six. That lets you spin the um, spinner. If you have the dumpling, you can put it back to then move the lazy susan to any spot you want. And then there's these chopsticks. Everyone starts off with a few chopsticks, and then you can spend the chopsticks to turn the spinner to different spots on the, on the, um, you know, in front of you. So you get the card that you want. And it was it was quick, like ten minutes, fifteen minutes, fun. It was it was like just as simple as sushi go, but but a little bit more choices, I think, because you sometimes you have there might be two dumplings. You could take either one of them, so you don't want to like line it up with what somebody else might be trying to get at at least you know they might be able to get it but at least make them pay for it when you spend the chopsticks they go on the card that you didn't take so then of course the next person who takes that tile will then get those chopsticks which makes it easier for them to then get what they want later i i really liked it i almost picked it up that's how much i liked it then i think that says a lot the fact that you were contemplating picking it up it sounds mm-hmm. cool. I haven't played Sushi Go in quite a few years, but I would give this one a try. It sounds cool, especially with those chopsticks, right? Yeah, the fact that you can use you can spend them to move it around. It's really simple. It's exactly as simple as Sushi Go, but I think just a little bit just a little bit more to it. And if, yeah, if you like Sushi Go, this might be another um just, you know, game that you could play and get out. I, I thought about picking it up for my kids. I think that they would like it. That's Sushi Go Spin Some for Dim Sum. God, such a cool name. Well done. Well done, Sushi Go people. <laughs> like the plan, plan game, words. Right? They have, they've got some nice games. Like they had that stamp collecting game that was kind of cute. It had the really nice quality stamps. Their games are like really cheap for what you, you know, for what you get. You get a good quality game that's really nice, well priced. 
I believe the term you're looking for is they make economical games, not cheap games. I think that's what it is. Uh, I don't like that word either. They make affordable games. There but they're go. just, I feel like you get a lot for the money that you spend in it. They're not just like, like there's lots of cheap games, affordable games but that aren't that good quality. Yeah, agreed. All right. So we could keep going on for the games we demoed. There's there's quite a few games that we did demo. Right now, I want to just quick fire, go through our top 10 lists, tell you if we played the game, what we thought, that sort of thing. So my number 10 was Charcuterie. I didn't see it. Oh, I did. Not de- being demoed, but when I demoed another game, they were showing me that it's still in development. So yeah. I don't know why. Oh, that's why it was still. And and they were still trying to work on like the, the way it was played because basically you get a ton of, you get a ton of items to put on your charcuterie board, and then you have to arrange them in a way that scores you the most points. But you have a small board, so you have to like basically lay them on top of each other, and so you end up with like this really messy board. So they're trying to like work on ways to make it like look nice because people who'd be interested in a charcuterie board would probably want their board to look nice, their charcuterie board to look nice, not just focus on points, you know. So yeah. I think it's still in development. But I did uh, talk to the people that were. I don't know if they were like demoing it and helping them work on it, but it was, yeah, it looks like he's got some work yet. Yeah. (laughs) Fair enough. Yeah. I didn't, I, for in, I tried finding it and I couldn't, I couldn't find it. Oh, well, no big deal. Yeah. Number nine was Bunzai. Again, I had a chance to see it. I kind of walked, saw people take turns. It looks cool. It's a game I still want to check out. Might be a smidge on the light side for me. My number eight was Forbidden Jungle. I did see it. The line for it was long to demo it so i did have a chance to kind of look at it it looks very much like forbidden island closer to that forbidden island sort of thing there's a lot of other things that get populated onto the board which i think is interesting and then when you flip it it goes away so i think there's some cool cool interactions there galactic cruise we got a chance to demo this and that's all i'm going to say about that we really liked it but we'll talk about it more later yeah there's going to be a some additional conversations about this in later episodes. Sky Team. <sighs> Again, I saw it. I was able to watch people play it. It looked cool. I didn't get a chance to sit on it because people, again, just, I mean, there were so many people. Everyone was interested in this. This sold out at the beginning of the, every morning, and they even had four copies out that people could play, and they were, because they were two versus two, so they didn't even take up that much room. And every time I walked by it, everyone, it was always full. Yeah, I never, I sat and waited for a while, and it just, I couldn't, I, I didn't have that kind of time. Barcelona, um, that was also a very popular game that sold out. I tried getting in on a demo of that again, too. Didn't have an opportunity. It looks cool. They actually had another game out um, that I thought was interesting as well. Horror on the Orient Express. I got a chance to see it. I got a chance for the guy to tell me a little bit about it. It's still kind of in development. Um, They're still working some tweaks and different things like that. I'm actually kind of excited about it. So it looks cool. Weirdwood Manor. Again, I got a chance to sit down and kind of talk to the guy. I'm concerned with this particular game because you're ultimately like moving these two discs around. And I'm not so much worried about the fact that you're moving the discs around or that rooms could get corrupted that you flip them. It was a bit busy. And one of those and those rings as you turn them are going to create paths within the manor. And they're not super easy, so I'm wondering if the board's just a smidge too busy. So I'm a little bit bummed about that. 
but it still looks cool. My number two was World Wonders. I feel like I made a list and it just like everyone wanted to play those games because I didn't get a chance to do those either. Today, when I went to go check out World Wonders, there was four people sitting playing it and there were six people standing around the table looking at it. So to try to get it. And then, like I said, it sold out instantly. Great Western Trail, New Zealand. You guys saw if you're on the Instagram. I bought that baby. They had 24 copies. Then one day and I was like, I'm getting in line. And I, I happened to get it. Super excited about it. I know I'm going to love the game. So at least I got that. All right. My top 10. Fit to print. I did get a chance to take a look at it. Look at some of the cards. I didn't get to play it or play around or anything. It looks really gorgeous. It and looks it, cool. It's definitely up my alley. I, I definitely want to try this game. Three Wing Circus. Um, hot game of the con for sure. Sold yep. out, I think, in the first day. It looked gorgeous. And it came in the you know classic DeVere small box. Like, how did it fit in that little box? Because there's a big, a lot of big components. It was gorgeous, of course. One of our friends got a chance to play it. They got tickets to play it, and he said he really liked it. But Did he? he didn't. Yeah, he didn't know if he was just smitten by the components because of how cool they look. But he said he enjoyed it. So, and plus, it's a small box. So, yeah, I like that. Federation, I didn't see at all. No, the search for the search for the lost species. I get to demo this. It was like not a fun demo. But I'm really excited about the game. So basically, let me tell you, if you've played the search for Planet X, it's exactly the same game. It's just a retheme. So like a lot of the actions, like they're called something different. You know, instead of the board, like the telescope opening up space, you move around the board on these hexes. So it's very similar. And he spent the whole time like teaching us the game, even though he told we told him we already played it. Uh, you know, the original one, he hadn't. So he couldn't like cut anything out because he didn't know the comparison which was kind of disappointing and then he rushed us through it told us what to do so that we could he could demonstrate uh each of the different um actions i i appreciate we get to play the game really excited i want to play a full thing but it left me very unsatisfied like mostly most of the time we play a demo it always leaves you a little bit unsatisfied but at least you got to complete something even if you had one good round you're like oh i got 10 points yay where this is like well we didn't get to figure out anything you know so the, yep. the demo was disappointing but i'm i'm excited to play the game i didn't see the life of amazonia it's probably there i just didn't see it i didn't wild see it either. west yeah wild Child west bob got super excited to play that after us was so busy i didn't get a chance to play it i'm hoping to play that soon though that actually it was interesting because i i didn't demo it but i got a chance to like sit in for like the rules teach and everything like that it's an interesting card play system where you're putting, you draw four cards and then you're taking the cards and aligning them together. And there's going to mm-hmm. be boxes that are going to, going to connect. There's a lot of games that are doing this now where if you connect this one to this one, you are able to get this certain thing. So it gives you, if you make the connections, it's going to give you resources and then gives you the opportunity to buy, you know, victory points or different like batteries and stuff. And then after you've acquired all your resources, you can take those resources to purchase new uh, ape cards. So there's there's four different types. They're going to require different resources in order to acquire them. So you're going to take them and you're going to put them on the top of your deck so you know you're going to draw them next round. Yeah, I'm excited about that one. Um, the third one was Race to the Raft. I never saw that one. I don't no, know I if it either. was like talked away or if I just missed it. I have no idea. The Fox Experiment, I did get to demo. I did an entire round of that. And it did have this similar mechanic that you were just talking about where it takes half symbols and you put them together. 
Yep. So you've got you. It's basically a drafting game. You're drafting the female fox and the male fox, and then a special like turn order ability, and then then you're then taking the dice that are on those um, fox and rolling them and like making baby foxes that then go out into the draft that anybody can can um, purchase or take. I guess just take them and then continue on making these foxes that are more and more um, domesticated. I'm excited to play it. It looks really good. Um, it's got really nice components. It's well made. It's kind of got a roll and write feel because you're checking things off in these boxes, even though it's not really rolling right, but you're marking them off and dry erase markers. It, it's nice. I'm excited to play that one too, a full game of it. And then my last one is the Sagrada Artisans, which I did pick up, which I'm excited to play. But I think overall, I saw a lot of games. I definitely didn't even touch on all of them here. But overall, I saw a lot, but yeah, it's just, it's just hard to see everything. You can't always find it or get to it or, you know, it's often they're busy and popular. So you have to wait. Well, and the problem too is sometimes you run into a thing where a game like Federations is supposed to be out and then you go to the booth and they don't like, it's not even there, right? You don't, it's not only not being demoed, like they don't even have a box of it. Yeah, it was weird. Yeah, like All Play had a bunch of games they were supposed to um, have there. Again, Trailblazers being one of them, and they just didn't Is have a lot. Trailblazers by All Play? No, I. That's the thing I don't get. It's by uh, Bitewing Games, but uh, every time I've looked it up, it always says you know at the All Play booth. So I don't know if they huh. were just distributing it for them, but even then, they had a few games and it was almost just like five games repeat five games repeat one of the people we went with kind of pointed that out to me and i didn't notice and then when you looked it was basically five of the same game then five of the same game then five of the same game so it, mm-hmm. it's just this constant pattern of repeating they didn't have it didn't feel like they had a ton with them and i don't know if they just didn't get their supply early enough or what the deal is but yeah gen con we could i mean we could spend another hour talking about gen con there's just so many different things so final thoughts. Let's get into some final thoughts. Natasha, I want to hear from you because you've never been to Gen Con. This is your first one. I feel like you had a both positive and negative experience with it. What do you think? Would you go back again? Well, I would go back because it is so convenient for us to go. It's only four hours away. I would definitely consider going back. I would have some stipulations. I would want to stay close on site because there's a there's so much like you have to drive in and then you have to, there's so much walking back and forth all over everything. It'd be really nice to be centrally located. There's a lot of things I would do differently. I wouldn't do the board game library. That didn't seem really worth it for us. Um, you know, and I, you know, I, now that I know going in, there's a lot of things I do differently. It is, but it is my least favorite con I've done so far. It's just a little too busy for me. I'm not real big into buying a lot of these games. So I also don't enjoy demos as much as like, to me, I really enjoy playing in a completed game. I can't get a complete feel oftentimes with just a demo. You know, usually games kind of build up to that those good sweet spots. So it's it's hard for me to get a sense. And especially like, I'll, at least if I can sit down and play around, that's great. But oftentimes they'll just kind of teach you the rules. And you know me, like, if you're teaching me the game, like I'm, it's not processing. Like I'm, I'm getting nothing out of <laughs> this. Out, like when yeah. they start teaching me the game and then get into the details of the rules, I'm like, you need to stop. Like you're gonna need to tell me like big overall picture, like not details of the game because yeah. it's just not gonna stick. So sure. for me, like I, I would definitely go again. Like if it worked out, if my friends were going, it was easy for me to join along. But I wouldn't make any effort to go. There's so many other cons I would rather go to. Sure. Because, but that's just because of how big and massive it is, and. And I'm so 
so offended by the will call line like that makes me want to boycott the entire thing because i'm so frustrated i think that is so unacceptable i think the part that's tough too is you've solved their problem and they just won't listen to you about how you solve their problem yeah if you want me to come back to gen con fix your will call and i don't think they will because it's been like this for years and they've done nothing about it email natasha at board game shenanigans at gmail.com yeah <laughs> okay uh rate it rate gen con Give give me a rating. Five out of ten. Five out of ten. Wow. Yeah, I could go again. Okay, but I won't be planning it myself. I won't be putting any effort into it. Fair. Okay. Gen Con for me. Gen Con is not a convention that I go to planning on playing a bunch of games. This was this one was no exception. I haven't been back since 2019. It felt very good to be back. Normally, I go with a specific group of people. Uh, They weren't able to make it. I went with a different group. But one of the things that I was able to do at Gen Con is I was able to connect with a bunch of people that I haven't seen in a while. I have RPG friends who have moved to different states that they were there. And I was able to sit down with them, chat with them. I have friends who, again, moved out of state to different areas. They were there. I was able to hang out with them. You know, my friend from Central was able to I was able to hang out with him while he was doing his booth. I met some new friends that we went down with our little group together. I met up again with one of our friends that we met on the cruise, Ben. Ben made a comment to me, and I agree. And he goes, you know what Gen Con is? Gen Con's Christmas. And I agree. Gen Con for me is Christmas. Yeah. I loved it. Ben does a lot with the auction and the consignment store. He brings games to the consignment store, and he does uh, the auction. And I had never seen it before. And it was cool to see that aspect of things for the first time. Specifically, the consignment is cool because you put, you you know, anyone can bring these games and you set three prices. This is the price on Thursday. This is the price on Friday. This is the price on Saturday, you know, and you can just sell a bunch of consignment games. There's a bunch of games you can get really good deals on. There's a handful of games I was like, mm, man, if I come back Saturday, I'm buying this thing. But again, you have to sit in line. You know, the auction was interesting to see people bid on all this stuff that they're trying to like turn around and make money on. It was so cool to see that. And just to be able to like interact with the people and everything like that. I love sitting in the going through the vendor hall, having people tell me about their game. They're so excited, especially those smaller publishers. I got a chance to look at a game called Moonshine Empire by Barrel Age Games and the guy the owner of the company small company they only have a handful of games it was two people in the booth they just see they were just so excited to show me the game and that excitement is like infectious you know it's and this is like this game for example it's like you're just you're making moonshine and selling it you know like you you get your cousins in there they're meeples and they have little slots that you can put the moonshine in you get those little hovercrafts you know those uh swamp boats or whatever with a big fan on them that's going to go through the bayou you you have jeeps you have boats you have trucks you know it's just a cool game and you can see how much how excited they are to explain their concept to you and i just love that and i love being able to do demos or listen to overviews because that gives me an opportunity to understand if the game is right for me you know if i'm going to make a purchasing decision whatever and hearing people's thoughts being able to sit down and interacting with the people and what they think of the demo that we're doing, that sort of thing. I really enjoy that stuff. That is the things that I love the most interacting with. I went to Gen Con to not to play games, but to interact with the crowds, to interact with people, to meet my, to meet up with my friends, to sit down, have dinner, have a couple beers with people that I normally don't get to spend a ton of time with. 
Me, I'm going to give this Gen Con a 10. The energy was there. The people were there. I probably have con crud. I'm probably going to wake up tomorrow feeling like absolute garbage because I'm probably going to be sick, even though I wash my hands religiously. It was fun. It was a good time. I'm tired. I'm exhausted, but I feel so rejuvenated for the board game hobby. I think people can have, can get kind of, you know, eventually you're just like, I just don't want to interact with people or I just don't want to, you know, play games today. That sort of thing. You get kind of down. And then something like this, as tiring and as long as it was, man, it makes me so happy to be part of this hobby. I love it. I love board (laughs) games. Like I love being able to, you know, play games. I love being able to share my opinion on this podcast with the listeners and everything like that. It's, it's just such a good time. Like I said, for me, Gen Con, 10 out of 10. Well done. There was a lot of good energy. Except for the will call area. Yes. Yeah. Natasha's got you covered. Broken. (laughs) It's just, (laughs) you want to complain about will call? Come to me. Email Natasha at boardgameshenanigans at gmail.com. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Will Call is that's why I pay the extra money to have that stuff shipped. I ain't I'm I ain't no fool. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for listening to our shenanigans. Join us again next week. Please help us by giving us a review and liking us on Instagram or Facebook and send us any comments or questions to boardgameshenanigans at gmail.com. Thanks everyone. See you next week. 